16th chapter. John, the 16th chapter. Is where we'll be tonight, John chapter 16. I will read actually a couple of verses before that. And we'll read through uh, verse 15, okay? John 15, verse 26, and then through verse 15 of chapter 16. If you have it, say praise the Lord. <clears throat> All right, the Lord Jesus Christ says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. Now, he's already said in the 14th chapter that when you've seen me, Jesus speaking, you have seen the Father. So now he's saying right here, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, say the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father or goes out from the Father. He shall testify of me, right? And ye also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, so there's two witnesses in those verses, the witness of the Spirit and the witness of the disciples. The witness of the Spirit and then the witness of the Spirit through the disciples. Two witnesses, right? Of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, chapter 16. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Understand that? They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. They don't know God. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me whither goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Albeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you, God, tonight for speaking in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Sister Christina, would you go back there and give me a little volume on that mic? Please, thank you. Okay, I'm coming to uh, probably one of the most theologically difficult chapters in the book of John. Maybe the most theological difficult chapter in the Word of God. So I ask for you to pray for me that God will help me to deliver this Word to you because there are things here that are spoken in parabolic form. And the reason why Jesus is talking, it's, boy, it's so unusual and unique the way he speaks. He takes a lot of different terms. Seems like it's, he's overdoing it with words and phrases and the things that he's speaking and trying to communicate to his disciples. But it is not to bring confusion to the disciples. It is to show them the many faceted aspects of the Spirit of God when He comes into the world, what He will do in and through the church, okay? So it is a very, very, very complicated area of Scripture because it is parable. Now, Jesus spoke in a parable, and next week we'll cover that if God allows me to when we get in the 16th verse on through the end of chapter 16. He will tell them that He's spoken to them in parables. And then He says, after Calvary, he will show them plainly the Father. Are you with me so far? So when he makes reference to, you know, he's going to send the Spirit, and then he's, he says, I'm going to pray, and the Father will send the Spirit. It's very, it's parabolic. And it's, it's um, the reason why he's doing that is to give glory to the invisible Spirit of God. Okay? But it is a parable. And it is extremely challenging to try to understand every aspect of it. I'm not even close to understanding it. I am not even close to understanding it. Okay? We're going to do our best, amen, tonight and then next Wednesday to give you an understanding as to why Jesus talked like he talked. Because he, the word that is used is circum, uh, circumlocution, which is a, a lot of words that are being spoken here that seem to be unnecessary. That's the big phrase that's used in theology, okay? And then, and I don't really want to confuse you with that, but I'll just tell you that it is challenging. And I know great men of God who would just skip over this chapter and go on because it is extremely challenging what is being said in these chapters, okay? The first thing I want to do, though, is I want to point out to you in verse 26, if you look at it with me, the Comforter is, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Look at it carefully. Okay, he's talking about the Comforter. He's talking about the Paraclete. The Comforter or the Advocate or the Helper or the Encourager. This is the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Ghost coming and living on the inside of you, the church, right? And the way he's talking, it sounds like there's another person here that's coming. Do you follow that? Because he's talking about that he will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father. But yet Jesus said, I'm sending him and then he turns around and he says, he proceeds from the Father. 
okay? And it says, he shall testify me. Now, okay, let's back up and look at it. Who is the Holy Ghost? Who is the Spirit of Truth? Who is the Comforter or the Paraclete? Right? Jesus? Okay, look at it. John 14, verse 18. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So in John 14, verse 18, he tells you that he is the comforter. Okay? So he's not going to leave us comfortless or orphans. He is going to come himself. Now, he's already told them that the same spirit that is inside of him is coming back to live inside of them. So while he's with them physically on the earth, okay, the spirit of God that is in him cannot come to them. Does that make sense? Okay. If the Holy Ghost was a separate person from the Son or the Father, then it would be not it wouldn't be necessary for Jesus to die before the Spirit could come. But because the Spirit or the Holy Ghost or the Comforter is Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, then He must die before He can send His Spirit to us. Does that make sense? So that when He comes, He is the Comforter. When the Comforter comes, it's the Spirit of Jesus, right? The Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of Jesus. Amen. Now, having said that, Boy, I really don't know how much to get into here with y'all, but in Trinitarian theology, okay, going back to the fourth century, the teaching of the doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one substance of God. Okay? One substance of God. Right? The Spirit of God. One substance of God. But they teach that within that one substance, there are three co-equal, co-eternal persons inside of that substance or inside of his inner being. Does that make sense? That literally, in the inner being of the Spirit of God, there are three persons inside sharing that one substance. And that's since the 4th century. Now, number one, the Bible nowhere authorizes us to go and look into the inner being of the Spirit of God and say that there are three people inside of that inner being of God. You are not authorized to look into the inner being of God. Amen. And, and say, okay, there's three persons in that inner being of God sharing the one substance. So number one, you're not authorized to do that. Okay. Number two, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach you that there's one God and on the inside of that one God there's three separate beings or three separate persons sharing that one substance. So Trinitarian theology going back to the 4th century violates the Scripture because they don't, they're not authorized to look into the inner being and say there are three persons. And most importantly, the Bible doesn't say 
that there are three persons in that one substance sharing that substance with each other, the Bible clearly teaches that there is one God. Not, you and me, not three. Say amen. But in Trinitarian theology, they say that before time, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, three separate beings or persons inside of that one substance, got together and collaborated with each other and decided what role they would fulfill. Okay? And the Father says, I'll fulfill the role of creation. Okay? And the Son says, okay, I'll fulfill the role of redemption. And then the third person, the Holy Ghost, they say third person, says, well, I'll come and I'll bring salvation to man. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. And you might think to yourself, well, you're making fun of them. No, I'm telling you what they believe. They believe that there is one being, one substance of God, three persons inside of that one being in his inner being, amen, and that they got together and decided what each one's role would be in time in relationship to man. Okay, y'all, that is not in the Bible. Okay, say praise the Lord. So when we look at these passages, let's look at verse, again, 26. And he already said in John 14, verse 18, that he is the comforter. Okay? He would not leave us comfortless, but he said he would come. So we know he is the Holy Ghost. Verse 26, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify me. This passage right here is the passage that is used to teach that one substance had three beings inside of it. Okay? And that, and basically what they're saying, the Father, which was one person, looked at the third person, okay, and said, you go down there. Right? Went out from the Father. Like if I, Hayden was standing beside me, I say, hey, go, Hayden, go over here. Well, Hayden is a separate person from me. So I say, Hayden, go do this for me. That's the way they would teach this. That the Holy Ghost is separate from the Father. Amen. It's separate from Jesus Christ. And that the Father looked at the Holy Ghost and said, okay, you go out from me. You proceed from me and you go do this. But it has nothing to do with separate persons. Okay? It has to do with ultimately Jesus is telling them this. That when he comes back, he's going to live inside of them. Amen. He is the Father. And he's going to come and he's going to dwell inside of them. So get ready to receive the Holy Ghost. Get ready for the age of the Spirit that's going to come. It's going to be different. Because right now, the Spirit of God is inside of Jesus in the passage. He's talking in a bodily form. So he can't come inside of them. So he's letting them know that when he comes, the mission of the Spirit when he comes, amen, is to testify of the finished work of Jesus Christ and that he, Jesus, will dwell on the inside of us. So it has nothing to do with the doctrine of the Trinity. One person leaving another person or being charged by another person. It has to do with the mission that he would perform when he comes and that he would come, Jesus would come, and he would dwell on the inside of us. Say amen to that. Do you understand? Okay. 
chapter 16. In verse 13, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. You with me? Okay. So, Trinitarian theology gets a hold of that passage. And they, they teach the doctrine of the Trinity, three separate persons, in the sense that it's Jesus telling the Holy Ghost what to say. That the Holy Ghost doesn't know what to say. That's not what that passage is teaching. Now, really, this is probably not important to you. I mean, you, you probably don't even need this, okay? But I'm just telling you the, this, the doctrine of the Trinity and, and what they believe and where it came from, and it's, it's just absurd. It's absurd, okay? Now, are y'all with me now? So, look at 13 again. How be with the Spirit of truth is come? He will guide you into all truth, for he, shall, he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Do you take that literally? That when the Spirit of the Lord comes, the Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus comes and lives inside of you that he's never going to make reference to himself. You can't take that literally. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation, just for example, Revelation 2 or 3, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, there is reference made to the Spirit. He's making reference to himself. All right, say amen. So this is not, as some say, one person in the Godhead telling the other person in the Godhead what to say. Because, you know, the third person in the Godhead doesn't know what to say, so he has to hear from somebody else what to say. And when either the Father or the Son tells him what to say, you know, because the Holy Ghost don't know what to say, when he hears that, then he brings that message, right? That's not what it's saying. There's only one Spirit. And that one Spirit of God is in, you can't divide Him, number one. He's indivisible. You can't divide Him into persons. He is Father, Son, Holy Ghost as far as manifestation is concerned. He's the Father in creation, same Spirit. Father in creation, Son in redemption, Holy Ghost willingness, not three persons, but one God manifested three ways. You understand that, right? If you were here Sunday night, you understand the supreme deity of Jesus. Say amen. So let's just go with that just a moment. The Holy Ghost is inside of you today. The Holy Ghost is in this church right now. If you divide Him into three separate persons, that means at some point the Holy Ghost has got to run over to either the first or the second person and says, would you tell me what to say? Because I don't know what to say. And he runs back over here and he says, okay, this is what the Spirit, this is what, you know, uh, the Son and the Father are saying, hello. You think that's going on? I'm just telling you that's Trinitarian theology. Okay. Say amen. The Spirit of, there's only one Spirit of God, correct? You can't divide Him. Amen. 
And as the Spirit of God, He has all knowledge. So you can't say the Spirit of God doesn't know or have knowledge. You know, and that's why somebody else has to teach Him. What it's really saying is, the same Spirit that was in Jesus Christ is coming to you. And He's not bringing a different doctrine. He's not bringing a new religion. When He comes, what the Spirit of God said through Jesus Christ, He's going to say the same thing through His apostles. He's not bringing a new religion. He's not coming in His own authority. He's not coming in His own initiative. Are y'all here? He is the Spirit of Jesus. He is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of the Father, the invisible, eternal Spirit that's coming back. Amen. And when He comes back, Jesus already said, I'm coming. Right? So He's just telling you that when the Holy Ghost comes, He's not going to bring a brand new religion. He's not going to come in His own authority because He is Jesus. Amen? He's not going to bring a brand new doctrine or a brand new revelation when He comes. Jesus is telling him when, he, when the Spirit of truth comes, okay, He's not going to speak of Himself. That means He's not going to speak out of His own authority. He's not going to speak out of His own initiative. He's going to be speaking what He's been speaking in and through Jesus Christ. He's going to speak that same thing in and through the apostles. And He's not going to be need to, ta- need to be taught like you and I need to be taught. That's what it's saying because He as the Spirit knows all things. He's omniscient. That means He knows all things. He's omnipresent. That means He's everywhere present. He's omnipotent. He has all power. You can't take away His knowledge. If you say one is smarter than the other, you make the other subordinate to this one. That is insane. Say amen. All right. Help me, God. So when He comes, amen, He is going to bring the revelation or the interpretation, uh, Jesus is the revelation of God, God in flesh, right? But when He comes back and dwells inside of us, the Spirit that was in Jesus is going to interpret His Godness to us. It's going to interpret for you His finished work at Calvary. So simply what He's saying, oh, oh hello, watch this now. I want you to catch this, all right? There is an aspect to the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, when He comes and lives inside of you. If you look in 14.23, look at it. John 14.23, Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. It's not two spirits coming to live inside of you. It's definitely not the physical body of Jesus coming inside of you along with His Spirit coming inside of you. So it's not two people going to come inside of you. It's not two spirits coming inside of you. It's not His physical body that's coming inside of you. What does it mean? The Holy Ghost, when it comes, is going to come in a new way. Are y'all with me so far? From what? The Old Testament. In the Old Testament, He moved on the waters, etc., But when He comes in the form of a man, there's an aspect of the Spirit in the New Testament that wasn't available in the Old Testament. And that aspect is the incarnation of Jesus Christ 
and the blood that he shed. So now the Holy Ghost has, as we taught you last week, a hue that it didn't have before. Okay? So when it says, we will come and make our abode in him, what he's saying is this, is that the qualities of God, like power, is going to be in you. And then also the qualities of Jesus' humanity is going to be in you, like his humility, his humility. Say amen. amen. Praise God. So we are going to make, he says, our abode in them. Not two persons, not two spirits, but quality. Divine qualities and the human qualities of Jesus will be inside of you. Say amen. The power of God, divine. The humility of Jesus, human quality. Okay, y'all with me? So when the Spirit of the Lord comes inside of you, amen, again, you don't have two people in, in you. So when Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, He's not going to speak of Himself. He's going to speak what He hears. Watch this. It's making reference again to the fact that the Spirit that's coming inside of you is the same humble Spirit that was inside of Jesus. And when Jesus walked the earth in His humanity, He always gave glory to an invisible Spirit. He gave glory to the Father. He said, the works I do, they're not my works. He said, the Father. He said, the things I say to you, they're not my words, they're the Father. He's always given glory to an invisible spirit. You see, so there's an aspect of his humanity, which is humility, that you still see in that spirit when it says he will not speak of himself. Amen. But he'll glorify me. Say, praise God. There's a humbleness, a humility that's in the spirit now. Are y'all with me? Because of the incarnation, God in flesh. Does that make sense to you? Say praise the Lord. There's a, there's, no, so there's a lot going on here. Okay. The main point is this, is that it's Jesus is coming back. Okay. In the form of spirit. Okay. Praise God. And he's not going to take credit. Okay. He's going to point to the Father. Uh-oh. But when we get through that parable, we're going to see that Jesus, there will come a time when He's no longer going to be speaking in parables. He's going to plainly show you the Father. He's not going to be making reference to an invisible spirit that seems like a, you know, a, a person separate from Him. Does this make sense? Okay. Well, let's look at the chapter as a whole. So when we look at 15... We know in, in 14, 1, uh, 14, 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. In that same chapter, John 15, he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Correct? Amen? The scripture also says in verse 26 of chapter 14, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Okay? So when He comes and lives inside of you, He's not bringing some new doctrine, some new revelation, some new religion. He says He's going to bring back to your memory what I said unto you. Does it make sense to you? Okay. Really, I probably shouldn't even have brought up that Trinitarian stuff because 
it, it, is, it, it makes things more confusing, right? But just in case you come across it, you know, some of you who still want to be Trinitarian or still hold on to hope that there's three separate persons in the Godhead, okay, it's not biblical. Say amen. So when the Spirit comes, He's going to always honor the finished work of Calvary. When the Spirit of God comes, He's going to give you a revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. Okay? Say amen. Now, you don't believe me? Let's look at the next verse. Because the next verse will interpret what He says. Explain to you what He says. I'm in John 16 now. Verse 13, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come. Who is the Spirit of truth? Jesus. Right. He will guide you into all truth. Say all truth. For He will not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. Are you all with me? Did you get it? Do you understand? He's not coming in His own authority. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that He doesn't know what to say. It doesn't mean that another person in the Godhead is telling him what to say. That's not what that's saying. It is telling you that he's not coming in his own authority. He's not coming in his own initiative. He's not bringing something new. It's the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ. He's going to be preaching and saying the same things that Jesus said while he was alive on the earth. Do you believe me? Do you believe? Okay. I don't know if you've got a good Bible in the margin of the Bible that would tell you he's not coming in his own authority. Does that make sense? But the way the King James words, it makes it sound like he's, he's hearing somebody else tell him what to say. But y'all know, okay. Anybody want to take my place tonight? Would you like to come up here and would you like to teach the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John? No? Okay, no takers? I'm, I'm stuck with this responsibility, huh? All right, good. Thank you. 13, howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself or come in his own authority or in his own initiative. But whatsoever he shall hear, shall he speak, he will show you things to come. Say amen. He's going to show you things. He shall glorify me. So he explains it. What is the purpose of the spirit in this age now of the Holy Ghost? He explains it. To glorify Jesus Christ. Amen. For he shall receive of mine what is mine. What does it mean? He says, he receive of mine. Everything that Jesus knows. Every, all the knowledge that Jesus has. The, the work of Jesus Christ. The finished work. Everything. All right? That pertains to Jesus Christ. This teaches you, shows you, it's not a separate person. Amen. He shall receive a mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, which makes him equal with the Father. So he talks what he talks about what is his. Then he says, "There, okay, y'all with me." All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. This is parables. 
he's speaking in parabolic language to you. It's parables. It makes it sound like he's talking about different people involved here. It's not. It's the mission of the Spirit in relationship to the disciples. What message he's going to be preaching. Okay? He's going to be, it's either the Spirit of Jesus Christ is coming and the focus is going to be on his Godness, all right? And his finished work. Ultimately, that's going to be the goal of the Spirit in this age. Say, praise God. Did you get that? You understand that? Okay, chapter 16, verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. What things? He's already told him he's going to die. He has to die in order for the Spirit, His Spirit, the Spirit of God that's in Him, to come and live inside of us. But remember, it is the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Jesus, right? And they're sad because of that. Their lip is hanging down. They're feeling sorry for themselves. Ultimately, because Jesus is leaving, He's going to die. He told them, you know, they don't understand. They want to go with him. But he's telling them they can't follow him where he's going. Okay? So he's going to leave. He's coming back in the form of the Spirit. He said, it's expedient that I do that. Okay? So he could send the Spirit and dwell inside of us. It's better. It's better. It's expedient. It's better if he goes away, dies, and then comes back in another form, not another person, but comes back in another form to live inside of you. But the same Spirit that was in Jesus is the one that's coming to live inside of you. And the same Spirit that was in Jesus is going to be preaching the same thing that He said through Jesus when He walked the earth. Not something new, not something different. Say amen. That's the point of the passage. So I'm going to bring a new religion, okay? Amen. And so He's telling them the good news of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that He's coming back as the Holy Ghost, as the Comforter, the Encourager, the Helper, the Paraclete, one called alongside to be your advocate, to be your defense attorney. When you come under attack, you know, He's going to be there to defend you, to be your advocate, your Helper, your Encourager. But not just to live on the not just the side, but living inside of you, right? But they're still sad. The lip is hanging down because they want to go where he's going. But he's told them they can't go with him. Say amen. He's going to leave us in this world. And we already saw in the 15th chapter the antagonism of the world. He's letting them know, don't be disappointed when the world hates you. And we went through that last Wednesday, how that the world is going to hate the church because it hated him. And the reason why the world hates Kim is because he do, they don't know Kim. They don't know God. And the reason why they're going to hate you is because they don't know God. Because they hated Him, they're going to hate you. So He's setting them up and He's telling them. The Holy Ghost is coming to encourage, to help them, right? Not going to leave them orphans. He's coming back to live inside, to help them. But they don't understand why they can't follow Him. So they're really feeling sorry about the whole thing, and about themselves not being able to go, feeling sorry for themselves. Say amen. 
Now, have you ever felt sorry for yourself? Just today, right? All right, now, flowing from there, he says, these things have I spoken. He's already told him the mission of the Spirit when it comes. So get ready. The Spirit of God, the Spirit, His Spirit is coming back to live inside of them. So they won't be comfortless. They won't be orphans. Correct? And that that Spirit will be a witness to the finished work of Jesus Christ, His person and His work. And the disciples will also be a witness. But get ready for the world. Because when you go out there in that world, it's hostile. It's antagonistic. It's going to hate you. So don't be disappointed when it happens. Okay? Because I'm with you. He's told us. Okay? Also, they're fixing, you know, he's fixing to go away. They're, they're upset about that. You know? And as I said, they can't go with him, so they feel sorry uh, that they can't go. So, in verse 1, he explains or talks to them further. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended, scandalized. He said, you're not careful. You're going to get offended. You're going you're to be scandalized. Let me explain to you what that word offend means or to be scandalized. It means a stick in a trap. Okay. The stick in the trap is what triggers the trap. Okay, So the devil is setting a trap for the disciples and he's setting a trap for you. He's setting a trap for me. And that trap is triggered by being offended. You get the spirit of offense about you. You get offended. Then the devil is triggering the trap on you. He's going to catch you in his trap because you are offended or you are scandalized. The trap's been triggered. And so what happens when that stick is triggered is a snare that comes down and catches the prey around the neck and hangs it. Okay. Or, all right, y'all with me? Either the rope comes down, catches it around the neck, drags it up into the air, or, or the trap falls on the prey and captures the prey. So what the Lord is telling them is this. Is what I'm saying to you is not so you will be offended by what I'm telling you. Don't, don't fall into a trap that the enemy's setting for you. Okay? Because, and he's setting a trap right now. Now you say, well, he's not setting a trap for me. He's setting a trap for every one of you that's in this church tonight. And some have already been snared. Okay? Now just because he set a trap for you, a scandal, a scandal for you to be trapped in, where you would be offended, amen, doesn't mean you have to give in to that offense and be trapped by the enemy. Okay? So he's warning them. Don't be offended. Don't be scandalized. Don't, don't fall into the trap of the enemy. And I'm telling you, there are many that already are. They have been trapped. They have been hung. They're hung up. And they are either hung up or the, the trap has come down upon them. It's like a, let me give you an example. How many of y'all, no, I'm not going to ask you that. But little mice, okay, they'll run all around the house, you know. So you set a trap out for them, correct? You put that little bar over the top. You put a piece of cheese on it. And that mouse sees that cheese and goes after it and says, hmm, 
I'm willing to pay with my life to get that cheese. I want that cheese so bad that even if I die, I got to have it. I got to have it. I got to have it. So the mice runs in there in the trap and triggers the scandal on. The scandal is on. He triggers it. The trap, boom, comes on his head. Crushes, breaks his neck. I'm not going to be too descriptive here. That's what Jesus is telling you. Do not let the devil trap you. Don't get offended because that offense is the trigger on the trap. And the devil walks his trap line. Listen to what I'm telling you. Some have already been trapped by the devil. The trap has already closed on them. Some of you today are offended. You have been trapped by the enemy. But watch this. If you will have it this way. The devil walks his trap line every day. Uh, is Jerry Carter in that trap I set for him? Did he trigger the trap? Was he offended? And now the devil has trapped him, hung him up, or the whatever has come down upon him, and the, the enemy's got him. And he looks every day to see if I have fallen into his trap. He looks in your life every day at your life. Did they fall? Did they fall? Did they self-destruct? I put this bait out there and this bait out here. The world, a little temptation here, a little temptation there. And, you know, and did they take the bait? Did they fall? See, as I was talking to, this is Christina and I met somebody just yesterday. And we were talking to them and uh, their, her husband took the bait. And so now in his life, not getting into details, but in his life there's a vicious cycle. Okay? His marriage is just about over and he lost his job when he took the bait. And I looked at her and I said, let me tell you something. When there is no moral foundation and people begin to walk in sin, sin leads to more sin until you end up in self-destruction. See, everybody in this church right now has the capacity and capability to self-destruct. And the enemy's out there setting baits for every one of you so you'll get a spirit of offense about you so he can trap you. And ultimately, what that trap is, is self-destruction. So he's setting the bait every day. Okay? Whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to try to define all the baits that he tries to use to trap us. But they are innumerable. Okay? Maybe it's immorality. Maybe somebody said something that you didn't like. Whatever, okay? And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, or the devil says, you know what? You shouldn't take that. You ought to just get out of the church. If I were you, I wouldn't take that. This kind of spirit that begins to talk into your, you don't, you don't have to take that. Why don't you just go back in the world? Why don't you quit going to church? You are falling for a scandal. You are apostatizing. And the devil's got you hung, man. Because you took, and all, all of a sudden, because you've done that, you're going to enter into a mode of self-destruction. You're going to go from one destructive situation to another destructive situation until you get out of the trap he set for you. 
But I'm trying to tell you, Jesus warning them, don't trigger the trap. Don't fall for his trap. Don't go for his bait. And he says, I'm telling you. Why is he telling them? Because he's told them, you're my friends. And because he is their friend and he's your friend. He's warning you what's going to come so you don't get offended when the world hates you and temptations come your way. He's, he's a good friend. He's warning you. Say amen. We went through that process. We showed you how he took them from servant to friendship. And then later he will bring them to a revelation of brethren. And then he will later on, Ephesians talks about uh, bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. A deeper revelation of a progressive relationship. Do you understand? Now real quick, I'm going to just touch on that real quick. You start out as a servant when you come into the church. And you know nothing basically about God. And as a servant, you don't have your own mind. Okay? You come into church as a servant. You don't say, well, can I still keep dressing like I want to dress? No. Your master tells you how to dress. Your master tells you where to go. Your master tells you how to live. Your master tells you what, you know, what to do. Tells you how to talk. He tells you a servant has no voice of his own. He's got to do exactly what the master tells him to do. But after a while, when you first come to church, that's the way it is. You know, your pastor's telling you what to do. He gets up and he preaches and he tells you how to live for God, you know. And you, I don't have convictions there, all right? So you pretty much have to take his convictions until you get your own, okay? But you're a servant. You're a slave. You don't have... Oh, hallelujah. I know you don't like this, but this is the truth. And uh, that's the way it is, okay? But then progressively, the Lord gives you your own conviction. Now you're moving into friendship because now you understand. Praise God. So he gave them revelation so they would understand and move up into the level of friendship. It doesn't mean you're no longer a servant, but you're in a different level of relationship where you understand why you do what you do. And then from there you go into brethren. And brethren is you have the characteristics of God. You look like Him. You act like Him. You talk like Him. And then you move from that. If you're a brethren, then you are an heir of God and joined heirs with Jesus Christ. And then you're bone of His bones and flesh of His flesh. And that means you have no desire to backslide. You don't even think about backslide. You are connected to Him. It would be like you cutting your leg off for you to even think about leaving here. And so because you're born of his bones and flesh of his flesh, you're going to nurture that relationship. Amen? You're going to cherish that relationship. So there's different levels of relationship as you go through here. Say amen. So he's coming to the disciples and he's telling them, he's warning them. At this point, they're friends. He wants to give them a revelation about the way the world's going to treat them. And he doesn't want them to be offended. Stop. Looking like you got your lip hanging down all the time. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Okay? That, that, that's what he's trying to get them to, to hear. Because if they can't get the victory over that, the enemy is going to use that to trap them. Give God praise. So, that level of friendship is he's bringing them to a level of understanding. 
the master doesn't sit down with the slave and explain to him the whys of things. The master tells the slave, do it. The slave doesn't say why. He just does it. But on a friendship level, you sit down and you explain why you do it. So Jesus is warning them as friends not to get caught up in that trap. But He's coming back to them in the form of the Holy Ghost and the Comforter and the Spirit's going to live inside of them. Amen. But don't let the devil trap you. Say amen. amen. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Don't let the devil trap you ever. Okay? They shall put you out of the synagogues. They will de-synagogue you. Now, we already showed you last week that they are going to become the minority in their nation. Are y'all here? This small group of disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. But the religion of their day, okay, is going, has rejected Jesus. The religion of their day, are y'all here? Judaism as a whole has rejected their own Messiah. Are y'all with me tonight? Okay. So he says, now watch this. You are going to be put out of the synagogue. You're going to be de-synagogued because of their faith in Him. Now remember, it was religion that crucified Jesus. It was the synagogue that crucified Him. And remember in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul persecuted the Christians, put them to death. Amen? So he's warning them, get ready. He said, they're going to de-synagogue you. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. They're going to excommunicate you. Now what you need to realize is this. In that culture, your religion is connected to your living. So if they de-synagogue you, if they put you out of the synagogue, that means you lose everything. You lose your job. You have no way of, of, of making a living for yourself. Nobody will hire you. You can't get a job in that culture if you are de-synagogued. Because your religion is connected to your livelihood. Amen. So this is serious business, okay? So Jesus is telling them, you know, about this offense that's going to come. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. De-synagogue them. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. When they nailed Jesus' cross to the cross, they thought they were doing God's service. They thought he was a blasphemer. They thought he was bringing in a new religion. They thought he was a false prophet. Okay. So that religion crucified him on the cross. And as I said later on, that religion will persecute the church. Now, They'll de-synagogue you, and then the next thing they will do is they will kill you. Now, it's one thing for somebody in the world to walk up and put a bullet in your head, and you're gone. Okay? But religion don't do it that way. Religion, if you study Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you study the history of the church, you will find out how religion treated the true church of Jesus Christ. They didn't just walk up and put a bullet in their head. They took you member by member. They took this hand off, and they took that hand off, and said, now, Jeremiah, I want you to be able to sleep tonight, but this is the truth. 
This is what religion does. See, the world will put a bullet in your head and you're gone. Religion's cruel. Religion's mean. And when they got a hold of the church, I mean, they'd pour honey on top of the saints and then let, you know, ants crawl over them. So religion, when it, when it goes bad, it goes bad, bad, bad. Okay? All right? So the world kills me. I don't have a problem. But you let religious people get a hold of the true church of Jesus Christ and they'll take you apart member by member. It's cruel. It's slow death. Nothing funny about this, my friend. If you're in the church of the living God, you will be persecuted. Just like Jesus was persecuted, you will be persecuted. But it's not just a bullet in the head. It's a dismemberment here and a dismemberment there. Are y'all with me? Read Fox's Book of Martyr, you'll see how they were treated. So Jesus, as their friend, is telling them what's coming. But don't be offended. Don't fall into the enemy's trap. When it comes. Okay? The disappointments are coming. Say no. And they're going to be thinking they're doing God a service when they do it. Verse 3. These things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. The reason why they're doing it is because they don't know God. Nor me. Well, Jesus is God. So he says, well, they, they don't know the Father nor me. They don't know the eternal spirit or me. God manifests in the flesh. Okay? He's telling them that he's God, obviously. He's already told them. And the reason is because they don't know God. How many of you here do not know God? Okay, good. You really know God. Or you just say you know God. You would be surprised how many preachers in pulpits don't know God. I know that's hard for you to swallow. But you see these preachers standing up in America and they're preaching their psychology and their philosophy. They don't know God. They're on their way to hell and they're going to take their church with them straight to hell. Now I'm fixing to step on some toes and I don't really care. I'm going to tell you the truth. T.D. Jakes used to be a one God apostolic preacher who at one time believed that Jesus' name baptism was essential. He no longer believes that it is essential. And T.D. Jakes, when his daughter got married, he was wearing a $20,000 earring in his ear. And his church was applauding him because at that point, they looked at him and said, well, he left all your holiness roots. You listen to your pastor right now. I don't care if you like me or what I'm saying, and I'm not trying to be harsh, unkind, or mean. I'm just giving you the truth that once apostolic churches that preached holiness and believed in holiness and the oneness of God and water baptism in Jesus' name. These men are apostatizing away from the faith. In fact, whole systems, whole apostolic systems are apostatizing away from God Almighty. And they're going to look at you. You're crazy. And they're going to preach against you because of what you believe. Now, you say, Pastor, you shouldn't call out names. I'm going to tell you the truth. You need to know what I'm telling you. And, and they get up and they talk about, woman, thou art loose. See, I've already offended somebody. And they walked out. I could care less. They can die and go to hell with them. You hear what I'm telling you? Woman, thou art loose. From what? Holiness? Woman, thou art loose from your holiness? So wife, I'll give you all the money you want to so you can go out there and buy all the makeup you want to and, and all of the, you know, the fancy clothes that you want to and get your, put your pants on, you know, and, 
and forsake all of that holiness. Woman, thou art loose. From what? From a holiness standard? That's what they've been loose from. And they stand up and attack one God apostolic uh, churches who still preach in holiness. Come over here and be loose from that. That charismatic spirit. I don't care if you like it or you don't like it. It doesn't make any difference to me. All right? I'm just telling you, I've got a problem with somebody that puts a $20,000 earring in his ear. They are forsaking the doctrine. They are forsaking holiness. All so they can have fame and power and wealth, all of that stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with being blessed by God. But they are going after that instead of preaching the gospel. So I'm just trying to wake some of you precious saints up. I don't even watch that foolishness. Years ago, I felt in my spirit, don't even, don't, okay, every once in a while I tune in, you know, there's always something that always bothered me about that whole situation there. And they literally take from the churches of their area that preach one God and holiness, take from those churches and fill their churches with those. Say, be loose from that and come over and be a part of us. I talked to some people a long time ago that put a fence up and at our house we used to live in, and they knew some people that the church over there in Dallas, people just started leaving that church and going over to, the, to, the, to that other church, you know, and just, come on, be loose from all of that, you know. You don't need all that. That's all bondage. Praise the Lord. That's persecution. That's the intent of the church. That's a scandal. That's falling into the church world. Charismatic spirit. Before it's all over, there may be only a few of us in this house before it's all over. I really, I'm trying to tell you the truth so you don't get sucked up into the spirit of this age. It is an apostasy. There is apostasy that's hitting not just the world and not just other churches. There is a spirit of apostasy. And I told you, I warned you months ago, it was hitting this church. You better know where you stand. You better know what you believe. It's getting hot. It's getting for real, my friend. You better have some conviction about you. You don't think it's apostatized, that whole religious system that's on television? They all sit together with uh, Catholic priests on the platform. One God, used to be one God preachers now grabbing hold of Trinitarian preachers and say, come over here and preach in our church. Women with Jezebel spirits that just dress like Jezebel, wear makeup like Jezebel. Come on. They know their role. They know uh, their uh, Hollywood uh, play. They know how to move the hand. They know how to talk. They know how to move. And they look like the world because they're a part of the world. And they are preachers that are Jezebel preachers. Boy, you're strong, Pastor. I know I am. I don't have anything to lose, honey. Nothing to lose. 
You tell me that that's right? For once apostolic one God preachers who believed in preaching holiness, for them to invite Jezebel women preachers to come and stand behind their pulpits and open the Word of God and preach to those people and put those people under a spell? I don't think so. I don't plan on going that direction. Now, I, listen, I have seen, I know personally, I've met, I've met personally very powerful men. Some of them gone to be with the Lord. And they have thrown holiness out the door. Started happening around the early 80s. Whole, whole movements that were holiness movements have now taken on that Jezebel look. So I'm going to bring the truth to you, man. You say, well, it sounds like you're the persecutor of them. Whatever you think. I'm just revealing to you what's of the world. That's the truth. And ultimately, you watch, just like Jimmy Swaggart, okay? He got caught up in that spirit. He started going after money and wealth and power and fame and all that. And he got caught up in all of that stuff. And, he, and you know what? Jimmy Swaggart used to speak against the one God church, one God believers and one God preachers. He would stand up publicly on television and do it. And right after he did those things, that's when he fell. Some of these preachers that I'm talking about are going to be found with their pants down. Without their, and it won't be with their wife. They're in self-destruction mode. God can empty your wagon overnight. He can shut you down overnight. Okay, not just churches, but He can shut you down, man. He can empty your wagon overnight. So you take what I'm telling you. I, just, I invite you to take it. You don't have to take it, but I'm telling you. There's going to be a judgment that's going to hit these churches, these apostates. God is going to judge it. He's going to shake it. Like the prophet's grab, prophet grabbed his garment and shook that garment like this. God's going to shake the religious world. Give the Lord praise in the house. All right, whatever. I got, I got that off my chest. And that's okay. I'll preach like that and I'll get rid of hindering spirits that come into this house. I'll get rid of people that walk in here with spirits. So be it. I'm telling you the truth. So every time you turn on your television and you want to fellowship, you better be careful because there is a spirit that's being transferred to you. You can't come under that influence without having that influence affect you. Do what you will. You have the freedom of choice. You do what you will. But I got to a place where I could no longer watch it at all. Okay? It's just sick. It made me sick. I'd go to some of those, con one conference I went to, it made me sick. And I'd sit there and I'd talk to these people, come up and talk to me after. They knew with the holiness, they could look at my wife and tell. If you want to know what I believe, look at my wife. Some of you doubt me, you look at my wife. And I don't plan on fighting you too. But you look at my wife. And I go to these conferences and I see that, and these people come and talk to us, hey, they say, well, we, we like what we feel here, except the holiness is gone. I sit there and I tell them. I talked to one man, he was connected right to one of those women that preached, connected to her. I said, I'll tell you what, man, I got a problem with this. There's no holiness here, it's gone. 
Well, you know what? They stopped inviting us to the conference. Wonder why. Are you with me right now? See, I've got some convictions about me. Okay? Whole systems, man. Right now, apostolic churches are backsliding. They're coming under the spell of that harlot right there. Are you all with me now? All right. Praise the Lord. Take what you want. Throw the rest in, to the side if that's what you want to do. Fine. But what I'm telling you is the truth. It is the truth. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. You can take it that way if you want to. But what I'm telling you is the truth. I've seen it firsthand. And I've had to separate myself from once great men of God because of that. Because they don't preach holiness anymore. And I can't, how can I fellowship with that? You know, I just, and it hurts, man. I'm saying it's an easy thing. But that's where it is. So religion in the day of Jesus was dead. It was an apostate system. It crucified the Lord Jesus Christ and it persecuted His true disciples. He synagogued them and then killed them. Wow. Because they have not known the Father nor me. These preachers, I'm going to leave God... God's going to be the one to judge ultimately their destiny. I'm going to leave that in God's hands. I will just say this, and I'm not calling any specific person by name now when I make this statement. But most of these preachers do not know God. The people in their churches don't know God. The Sunday school teachers don't know God. They don't know God. They could go there and be a part of them and fellowship with them and sing with them and, and join them and all that. You need to get a spirit of discernment about you. They don't know God. It's going to take a lot of God to keep us going the right path. To keep us strong. Amen? I told you I didn't want to preach this chapter. I told you, I invited somebody else to come up here and preach it for me so I wouldn't have to. But Jesus said the reason why they're going to treat them like they did is because they don't know God. These things have I told you that when the time shall come you may remember that I told you of them and these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. How? As a man. And none of you asketh me whither goest thou. I thought Thomas or, or Jude asked. I thought Peter asked. In the 13th chapter. He did. They did ask about where are you going? And you come through and I want to go too. He's talking about now. It's progressively moved further, okay, in time. And right then in that moment, nobody's asking him any questions. See? They should have been going to him, the disciples. And they said, can you explain to us what you mean? Can you explain to us what you're saying? Because we don't understand. 
But what they do is like most church people, okay, they get with each other. And they say, can you help me with that? Um, can you explain to me? You know, And saints start talking with saints and asking saints to explain. They should be asking the preacher. They should be asking the pastor. They should have been asking Jesus. Amen. Listen. Hey, I don't be honest with you, church. You don't have to worry about a thing. You don't have to worry about a thing. I tell you, if I am not, what I'm speaking is not of God. If I'm not of God, you won't have to worry about a thing. God will remove me. You mark it down. Okay? He will empty my wagon. You hear what I'm saying? And I've already told my wife, I said, I won't fight God. Who can fight God? So I'm saying, if I'm not a God, don't worry about it. God's going to take me away. He's going to take me away. And then he'll do with me whatever he wants to do. So you don't have to worry about it. But you need to get a relationship with God. Because it's not about your pastor. It's about you knowing God. It's about you walking with God. And being surrounded by religion who claims to know God but does not know God. They want to take you under their wings. Forget it. Watch. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Your lip is just hanging there. Feeling sorry for yourself. And he's leaving and this persecution's coming. Who wants to hear they're going to be persecuted for the faith? Who wants to hear that Jesus is about to leave? Even though he's telling them to come back and send the Spirit? You know what I'm saying? Who wants to hear that? They're all sitting around feeling sorry for themselves. Instead of talking, saying, hey, Jesus, can you explain further to us what you're saying? They can't understand what he's saying because they're too consumed with self. They're too consumed with feeling sorry for themselves. So he will tell them, I have many things to, to say unto you, but you're not able to bear them. I can't tell you what I'd like to tell you, number one, because you won't ask me. And number two, you're feeling sorry for yourself and that's shutting the door to revelation. I told you I wanted somebody else to preach this tonight. Watch. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. It's the right thing for me to go away. That means to die. Right? For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. Why? Because the Spirit is in Him. It's not a third person. The Spirit's in Him. It can't come to them as long as He's on the earth. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. Wow. And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin. Say amen. How many believe he's telling us the truth? Let me go back up there. Where, where does it talk about that? Okay, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you by truth. Correct? Verse 13. I'll be when the Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into what? All truth. There, here's the problem, okay? In these churches that I'm talking to you about, 
they have some truth, but they don't have all truth. And half truth is dangerous. It's dangerous. You know it's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Finding a half a worm in your apple. And the devil has a lot of half worms in his apples. I'm not saying that there's no truth in any of these churches. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you they are not bringing all truth. And it's dangerous to have half truth. Half truth will destroy you. You bite the apple. Look at there. You got half a worm in the apple. You know where the rest of him went. Right to the tummy. So that's the problem with the churches today. They don't have all truth. And I'm not saying we have all of the truth, but we got more than they got. Yeah, we got more than the Trinitarians have. We got more than those people who say, accept Jesus as your personal Savior, you're going to heaven. That's not in the Bible either. The Trinity doctrine is not in the Bible. Accepting Jesus as your personal Savior is not in the Bible. So you got more truth than they've got. They have just enough truth to go to hell with. Jesus is coming in the form of the Spirit, another form to bring all truth. When you start preaching all the truth, that's when you make enemies. Say amen. How many of you have had that before? The devil's offered you that apple before. You know, half a one. There you go. And there's a wiggling in that one. Don't fall for it. Just be tough to the church. I say it wherever I go, to whoever I talk to. I'm not afraid to say it to anybody. And you shouldn't be afraid either. He's going to bring, He's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. No, no. You, you may not misunderstand what I'm telling you, but this is extremely serious for this pastor. Okay? What we do here, what I do here, what we preach here, what we believe here, how we respond, how we respect or disrespect our holiness teaching, our attitudes, our spirit, that's all extremely important to this pastor. I am, I take none of this lightly. If we are not where we're supposed to be, if you're not where you're supposed to be, if I'm not where I'm supposed to be, I take this extremely serious. Okay? And if I'm the problem, I invite God to remove me. You hear what I'm telling you? That's how serious I take this. This is no game, honey. This is letting them know what you're facing and what you're facing. It's not a game. You all believe what I'm telling you? Backsliders, boom, 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 out of the church. Boom, 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 out of the church. Backsliders. If you're not in the church tonight, you're a backslider. If you're not in the church of God, you are a backslider. Okay? 
the backside. Say, well, Pastor, don't beat me up because of them. I'm not. I'm just telling you, don't fall for the trap. Trap of religion. The trap of apostasy. Some of you think you're on fire. You can't even get off the pew. And you want to be a preacher and you can't even teach a Bible study. I'm going so weary of foolishness. I'm not calling you a fool. I'm going weary of foolishness. I'm not mad. I'm just telling you the truth. Bible study teams. Each team teaching one Bible study per team. The church I was in, we had already been scalped. They had already, already grabbed us up by the hair and scalped us on the spot. I've been trying so hard to be positive, but i got a lot of preachers here today and want the pulpit, but they know themselves. Don't get trickled with you. What are you doing, Pastor? Right, I got you. I'm just telling you, I, you're looking at a very disappointed pastor tonight, and I love you, but there's some stuff in here that's not right. And, and there's stuff in here that I've dealt with for years, and I've had enough of it. Now, how's the Holy Ghost going to speak? How's he going to come? Is he, is he a sheep? Okay, there are some churches that stand up and tell you the Holy Ghost is a she. They want the Holy Ghost to be effeminate. They want the Holy Ghost to be weak. Okay? Bringing some kind of Platonic love. Plato. Philosophic philosophy that presents a love that's not biblical. It's ethereal. It's not real. And most of the church today is walking in a platonic kind of love. It doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. So they say the Holy Ghost is a she. They make him make the Holy Ghost effeminate and weak and preach a, uh, an eros kind of love. Okay? Doesn't, doesn't have the truth in it. Doesn't obey God's word. Anyway, you know. Uh -uh. But how is the Holy Ghost going to speak when he comes? Look at it. The Bible says, when he is come, verse 8, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Oh, they say, he's always going to be preaching love. He's never going to preach judgment. You're an apostle. You have been trapped. Because the Bible says, when he comes, the Holy Ghost is going to come. He's going to glorify Jesus. He's going to speak of the godness of Jesus and the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? He's going to warn the church of persecution. He's going to reprove the world of sin. The word reprove means convict. It means to expose. It means to uncover. Convict. Convince. Expose. Uncover. See, some people think God always covers. When the Spirit of God is really moving, He doesn't always cover. He uncovers you, honey. What I'm telling you about some of these ministries, 
or an un, is an uncovering of God upon them. What they used to do in secret now is just coming out bold, all right? It's a manifestation of their apostate spirits. So when the Spirit of God comes, He's not coming as a she. she he's not coming effeminate. He's not coming weak. He's coming to convict. He's coming to convince. He's coming to expose the world of sin. And ultimately, that sin is the sin of unbelief. It is a sin of unbelief. It does not believe in Him. That is the ultimate sin of all sins, is not to believe in Him. Say amen. And so the Spirit of God is going to come, and it's going to convict, it's going to convince, it's going to uncover the world to themselves. Their unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then not only that, the Bible says, but verse 10 of righteousness. Because now, so he's showing you what he's going to do in relationship to the world. He's already talked about what he'll do with the disciples. Now he says, this is what I'm going to do with the world out there. He said, I'm going to convict them of their sin of unbelief. He said, I'm going to reprove them, right? Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no, no more. The Holy Ghost is going to declare that Jesus was righteous. That he wasn't an infidel. That he wasn't a lunatic. That what he said was the truth. That who he was, you know, was the truth. That he's God. That he went to the Father. That he was not unjust, he was just. That he was just. Look in the book of, the book of Acts when the apostles are preaching. They preached the finished work of Calvary, his person and his work, and the conviction that fell upon the world, convicting them of their unbelief and declaring to him that he is that just one. He's not like you looked at him. You looked at him as an imposter. You looked at him as one having a devil. You looked at him as deserving to be crucified. That's the way you looked at him, world. But the Holy Ghost is going to say, no. He was righteous. He was that just one. He went to the Father as a man. The world rejected Him. But the Father accepted Him. Amen. And the Spirit of God is going to come that way and, and show the world Jesus' righteousness and then those who are connected to Him. How they become righteous by being related to the righteous one. It's going to show you how to become righteous, the Spirit. Show you how to become righteous and declare to you what is unrighteous. That's why He's coming. To uncover what is unrighteous and show you how to become righteous. And at ultimate, Jesus is righteous. And then He goes on, says the Holy Ghost is going to bring a message of judgment. Of judgment. Because the prince of this world is judged. See, the world thinks it's judging the church. The world, when it looks at you, they, they look down on you and they're judging you. But the Lord is showing us and His disciples that it's not the world that's judging you. You're judging the world. You're judging the world. When you walk righteous, 
When you walk with God, you are judging the world. The world is not judging you. When the devil, when they took Jesus and nailed him to the cross, they judged him as unjust. But when they nailed him to the cross, when they did that, he passed the sentence of judgment upon Satan and upon this world. They thought they judged him. But when they killed him, he judged them. And so he's showing the Holy Ghost when he comes, he's going to show you that the only way to be saved, the only way to be rescued is by Jesus Christ. If you don't have the Holy Ghost inside of you, you're going to die and go to hell because he is the only one that can rescue you. He's the only one that can save you. And you must be filled with his spirit. You must submit to Jesus Christ, to his lordship. When you do, you ask no questions. He tells you how to dress. He tells you how to talk. He tells you what to do, how to do it, when to do it. You have no mind of your own as far as being a servant. You know, are y'all here with me today? You are sons by way of revelation. He gives you understanding so you'll have your own conviction, but you're still servants in the fact that you have to obey Him. You don't have your own choice. It's him. But I don't like that color. He said, wear it. <laughs> you get my point. You think the slaves of the old, olden days, you know, thank God for the Emancipation Proclamation, there's no more slavery, thank God for that. But you think the slaves of the old days could walk up to their master and say, I don't like this clothes you gave me. I don't like the color. It don't go with my eyes. I don't like the bed you gave me. I want air conditioning. They had no voice. They put them in shacks. The beds they slept on, they, they weren't comfortable beds. They didn't live in air-conditioned homes. They had to eat and drink and, and stay and wear what the master told them to wear and say. And you have, I'm telling you, the church is losing this understanding that you are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, my friend, He's the Master. He's the Master that's going to tell you. And the Holy Ghost is going to come and convict the world of sin. The sin of unbelief. Because it doesn't believe in Him of righteousness. It's going to convict the world of unrighteousness and show them how to obtain righteousness and right, be right in right standing with God. And that when the world killed Him, He judged the world, not the world judging Him. Hallelujah! When I stand and declare this word to you today, this word is judging you. You're not judging this word. If you come in here and set yourself up as a judge and a jury of what comes from this pulpit, you got a problem. This word is judging me tonight. This word is judging you tonight. It's reproving you. It's uncovering you. It's exposing you. It's showing the unrighteousness that's in your life. It's showing you how to become righteous. Showing you that without Jesus Christ, you cannot and will not be saved. Because He's judged the wicked one. He's judged this world system. He's judged Satan. Religion is a part of this world system. That harlot is a part of the world system. He's already judged it. It's already judged. Come on, somebody. And because the devil's already judged, He's awaiting his execution. He's already been judged. 
He's already been sentenced. But he's awaiting his execution. And if you're a part of him, you've already been judged. And you've already been sentenced awaiting your execution. So don't bring this idea that when the Holy Ghost is moving that he's not going to preach a message of judgment. He's going to reprove, convict, convince, uncover the sin of unbelief. Show us the need for righteousness and how to obtain it in Jesus Christ. And that the world is judged. Satan's judged. And everybody that's a part of it's judged. What I told you earlier, you might think, I'm crazy. No, you, you need to listen to your pastor today. These systems are part of that system. And it has been judged. Religion. Religion. That's what he's letting them know here. What's the Spirit of the Lord doing in the earth right now? As far as the world is concerned, he's telling you what he's doing right now. Say praise the Lord. Verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you which you cannot bear them now. You're sitting there with your lip hanging down. You're feeling sorry for yourself because you can't go. Told you about persecution, the opposition of the world. Amen. How many of y'all understand where your pastor is tonight? I don't have a problem with the world right now. I really don't. My battle is right here. This is the most dangerous place in the world for you and for me. It's right here in the world. That's where the struggle is. I'm going to say amen to that. It's not just me that I have to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. Maybe I'm a little bit too open with you tonight. Too honest with you tonight. Maybe I should just you know, keep all of this stuff in. You know, but I'm at a place in my life right now where I'm tired of playing games. I really am tired of it. And you're, you're good people. You, for the most part, you love God. But there's, there's some things that are lacking in all of us. And the Holy Ghost is coming to uncover, to convict, to convince. He's coming to show us what's unrighteous and what's righteous. He's coming with a message of judgment. Oh, of this hour. So they can't bear it. They can't take it. There's a a lot of things he said, I want to tell you right now. I can't do it. They're not able to bear it. If Jesus were to just unload on them all the truth and interpret all the truth to them, they couldn't handle it, man. They were not in a condition to handle it. They couldn't bear it. So successive generations. The Spirit comes, the same Spirit that was in Jesus, not with a new doctrine and a new revelation. The same Spirit that was in Jesus with no need to be taught. You and I need to be taught. He doesn't need to be taught. And He's going to come, and through successive generations, He will author the book of Acts. He will author the epistles. He will author the book of Revelation. 
and he's not moving some new religion or new, come on somebody, revelation. It is an interpretation of the Christ of God, his godness and his work to you. Say praise the Lord. He's not coming in his own authority or his own initiative. Understand that? Okay. So, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come. Say the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. Notice it doesn't say he's going to give you a new truth. He's going to guide you into truth that's already there. He's going to cause you to enter into truth that's already there. The truth of Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done. With greater and greater understanding, greater, greater and greater revelation. That's why you have the epistle. It's written to those who are saved, teaching and explaining how they got saved and how to live after they got saved. Do you understand? Praise God. So, I'll be when he, the spirit of truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth. So he'll guide you into all truth. He's going to lead you into the reality of it in your life. You're going to live it out. You're going to experience it. You're going to move in it. It's not just hearing it. It's living it. You understand? For he shall not speak of himself. He's not coming in his own authority. He's not coming in his own initiative. Does that make sense? The same spirit that was in Jesus is coming. And he doesn't need anybody to teach him because he's God. He doesn't need a man to teach him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You understand what he's saying? You're going to be the same spirit. Hallelujah. Now bringing a different, a different doctrine or a different religion. Same spirit. When he comes, the same spirit that was in Jesus. He's not going to speak against Jesus Christ. He's not going to set up a doctrine that is opposing the Lord Jesus. When he comes. He's not coming to set up something new. Okay? Let's go through chapter 2. Let's see if we can find this. Verse 11. For no man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of, of man, which is in him. See, that passage I read to you is doing anything but declaring there's a separate person. It's showing you there's not going to be a different one come. There's going to be the same spirit that's going to come. Not one that's going to come with a different authority and a different uh, initiative. You get what I'm telling you? The Trinitarians say that one person is telling another person what to say. I'm showing you that what he said, he's saying there's not going to be another one come that's different. All right, watch. So Paul is saying here, for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? 
You understand? That man knows by his spirit in him. His spirit's revealing to him. And he knows by the spirit that is in him. He knows. He doesn't have somebody else coming to him and telling him. That's the point. It's not another man telling him. It's his spirit. In his spirit he knows. What it's saying is you don't need somebody to tell you what's in your spirit. They, I don't know what's in your spirit anyway, brother. Your spirit, though, has the knowledge. Okay? It's not coming from an outside source. Watch. Watch. And he makes reference to this to the Spirit of God. Okay, verse 11. I'll read it all. For what man knoweth the things of a man? Is another man going to go to a man and tell him, explain to him what's inside of his spirit? Right? No. What? Watch this. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. You can't say God doesn't know. God has, um, he knows everything. So when he says he will speak, you know what he's hearing, that's what he's going to say. It doesn't mean he doesn't know what to say. That's my point. He's just saying he's not bringing something new. Same Jesus, same Spirit of God, the same Spirit that was in you. I'm going to pre preach that. I'm going to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Where do we get this thing? Well, we shouldn't preach the same thing over again. You learn by repetition. I drive my cra myself crazy trying to find something new to preach you all the time, you know. Where did I get that? How did you learn that? Repetition. Some of you are still learning math. You don't know what 10% is. <laughs> but anyway, aside from that, repetition. You learn by repetition. So, you know, I'm up here always trying to find something new for you, right? Hallelujah. And I get well, I'll preach on the supreme deity of Jesus, and everybody goes to sleep. I know all of that, you know. Really? Man, I'm always understanding more about the deity of Jesus Christ and his finished work, you know. And the Spirit of God is improving all the time. You understand? So don't get bored with it. Repetition. I know some of you, though, praise the Lord for you. Some of you, I can say it one time. You got it memorized. You can come up here and repeat everything I preach tonight. I bet Hayden could come up here tonight, and I bet he can repeat everything I've said tonight, but do a better job. And I'm not making fun. I'm telling you the truth. That young man would do a better job than I've done tonight. You see, he has had the luxury of hearing me speak, and then the Holy Ghost is making it clear to him. When I'm not making it clear to you, the Holy Ghost is taking. You know, my attempt is, okay, this is what it means. This is what he's trying to say. Saying, you're going, oh, yeah, now I see it. And so you could come up here and you could preach it better than I can. Because you have the luxury of hearing it spoken and then the Spirit, the, the Spirit of the Lord, revealing the truth to you, interpreting it for you. Does it surprise me? That young man right here gave me that assignment. Uh, on the 14th chapter, 13th chapter, 13th, 14th chapter, 14th chapter, 
I said, I wish I had this before I stood in the pulpit. But see, he heard it preached, and he had a time to think about it, and the Spirit of God opened it up to him. That's what it's all about. Hallelujah. So I thank God for you. If today you don't need any repetition, you know, you get it the first time. Beautiful. God's helping you. Try to be in my position. Some of this stuff I'm, I'm dealing with for the first time in my life. I've never dealt with some of these things at the level I'm dealing with them. Okay? I could just jump over them real quick, some of these difficult passages, real quick and just give you a brief explanation and not really get into some deeper things. So you're going to have to pray for me. You have to let the Spirit of God work in your own life to give you clarity and understanding. I told you I don't know. I'm doing my best. Okay? Good time. I plan on getting more understanding because I've got the Holy Ghost. The time God will give us more, give me more revelation. Say amen. So the Spirit of God doesn't need somebody to tell him what to say. The Spirit of God doesn't need anybody to teach him what to say. He knows. He's omniscient. So you get it. He's not coming with a new message. All right. Real basic. Let me just bring it right down to where I can understand it. That makes sense to you? He's not going to be in opposition to the message that Jesus preached. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, please. First Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaketh by you with me? Speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. You say Jesus is Lord, you really have revelation that's because the Holy Ghost has revealed Him unto you. Revealed His person and His work to you by the Spirit. The Spirit's never going to be in opposition to Jesus Christ. He's never going to oppose. He's never going to come on His own initiative with His own authority, bringing another message contrary to what Jesus said. That's what He's trying to get you to see. Okay? Hallelujah. Thank God. There's no contradiction. It's not like the Father has one religion and then the Son has another religion and the Holy Ghost has another religion. You would be, you would probably not be surprised, but there are people out there that say, well, the Father has a religion and then the, you know, the Son has his religion and then the Holy Ghost brought another religion, all different. No. They were in unity in creation and redemption. It's not a different message. That makes sense to you. That's what he's saying in the passage. Some people will tell you Jesus had his gospel and then Paul came along and he had a different one. But Paul preached a different gospel from Jesus and the other apostles. Did you know that? That that's out there? I say, well, we're going to follow what Jesus taught. You know, and 
We're not going to follow what Paul taught because they say Paul is an apostate. They brought a different religion. So what he's trying to tell you, he's not coming in his own authority, his own initiative. He's not bringing something brand new. Come on, are y'all hearing me? You just got to hear the mic. He's right. Just, I, can't, I can't do it. The Spirit of God is going to have to do it for you. So when the Spirit comes, He's not bringing something contradictory. He's going to bring to your memory the things that Jesus said while He was on the earth. It's going to be the Spirit of Jesus speaking in and through the disciples, not a different one. That's what He's trying to tell them. And this Spirit is not needing to be taught like you are. That's the point. It's just the opposite of what they try to make it say. Which is that one sends another or tells another, hey, you don't know what to say, so let me tell you. And then when you hear it, then you can go relay it. It's just the opposite of that's, that's next step. Okay? Is this helping anybody here? You got it, right? Okay, you'll do better than I do the next time. When you open your mouth and somebody brings this to you and they say, can you explain that to me? You're going to be surprised because the Spirit of the Lord is going to come on you and you're going to say it in childlike terms and they're going to say, okay, that's what I thought. Okay. All right, yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, oh yeah, thank you. And then you'll pray for your pastor to beat his head against the wall trying to probably over-teach it. Albeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, his own authority, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And that's not just talking about the book of Revelation. He's going to interpret to you Calvary. So, but I believe that Jesus died for me, yes, but do you understand what that means for your life? You understand? What? Let me show you something. What's it? He'll show you things to come. Book of Revelation. Also, the things in relationship to Calvary. His death, burial, resurrection, ascension. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All the things that the Father hath are mine, which makes him equal with the Father. Therefore said I that he shall talk, take of mine and show it unto you. What he's saying is, is what the eternal spirit gave to him. He's going to transmit that same thing by his eternal spirit to his disciples. And after he transmits that same thing, the eternal spirit transmitted transmitted to the man Jesus Christ, he's going to come in you and transmit it in and through you, and then you're going to go forth and you're going to transmit it as a witness to everybody else. That's what he's saying. It's going to be the same spirit. The same spirit. Not somebody coming on their own initiative, not somebody coming with a different message. Okay? What's been transmitted? What's mine? What is the Father's and what the Father has given to me? He said, I'm going to give it to you. Okay? That makes sense to you? Beautiful, man.
awesome. It's awesome. He's coming to interpret for you. He's coming to translate for you. He's coming to transmit for you. Does, any, does anybody have an Amplified Bible here tonight? You got an Amplified Bible? Can I see that? I want to read it to you in the Amplified Bible. Okay? So you, so you don't think I'm completely gloomy. I am, but you, I don't want you to think I am. I, is this in the Amplified Bible? The whole Bible. Okay. I'll start with verse 13. Are you ready? But when he, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth, the whole, full truth. For he will not speak of his own message or on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears. And in, 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 I don't like this part. It's from the Father. But you can say from the eternal spirit. That's all right. He will give the message that has been given to him he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. He will honor and glorify me because he will take of, receive, draw upon what is mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. That is what I meant when I said that he, the Spirit, will take the things that are mine and will reveal or declare, disclose, Transmitted to you. He's not bringing another message. And now you don't think I'm completely insane. Okay? You understand? No, you say, well, I just hope you need an amplified Bible. Hallelujah. That's all I need. Then, I, then when they ask the question, they say, look, right here is it. Is it, is it? Just read that right there in the The same spirit that wrote the book of Genesis. Same spirit. You understand? It was in Jesus Christ. Is going to transmit everything that is of the Father and everything that is of the Son. He's going to transmit all of that attributes and all of those roles. Everything right into you. So there will be time when you'll walk in the power of God and times you'll walk in the humility of the Son. The spirit of the Son. Amen. Get it? Right. I'm just trying. He's trying to emphasize to you. And I'm going to say it again. I'll beat my head against this floor. He's trying to tell you he's not bringing a new religion. That it's the same one. The same God. The same Jesus. That Jesus is coming. He's going to live inside of you. He's going to transmit everything that the Father gave him. And everything he has to you. And then you're going to go forth. And you're going to be a witness. It's not going to be some different message and different religion and a different revelation. It's going to be an interpretation and a translation and a transmission that's going to come to God's people. And you're going to go forth with that. Give God praise in the house. God's helping me. I think I'm doing all right now. I didn't want to teach this tonight. I didn't want to teach it. I was going to let it come on y'all, but Brother Patrick didn't want to. Is there anybody here today that could bring more clarity to it than what I've done? If you can, I, I invite you, honestly invite you to come and share with the church your insight. 
when the apostles went and preached in the book of Acts, there was a different spirit. And the spirit that was in Jesus? No. When they wrote the epistles, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, was it a different spirit than the one that was in Jesus? No. When the book of Revelation comes showing things to come, was it a different spirit? He says he wouldn't speak of, him, of himself. That doesn't mean he would make reference to himself. He's not bringing something different. Beautiful, isn't it? It's declaring the deity of Jesus. But he's, he's the same as the Father. You have the eternal spirit operating here in that humanity and then being poured out upon flesh. Beautiful, isn't it? You're looking at a pastor, I'd be so glad if I'm done with this one. And I mean that. But next, guess what? Next Wednesday, by God's grace, if I'm still here and you hadn't, hadn't killed me, and God hadn't killed me, you know, it's possible, God. You're a pastor. If you don't do what God tells you to do, God will kill you. And if you do what God tells you to do, the people kill you. So either way, you're going to be dead. And that's kind of the way I feel right now in my life, okay? If I don't do what God tells me to do, I'm, God's going to kill me. If I do what God tells me to do, you're going to kill me. And so that's kind of where I am right now. So would you pray for me? Because I'm going to be dead. <laughs> Amen. Isn't God good? But, but next Wednesday, we will... Pick up from there. And I will preach to you a message. I don't know. I know I've preached it before, but why did Jesus talk in this circumlocution? This why did he bring so many different phrases and come from different angles and and, and make it appear like he was making reference to somebody else beside him? Why did he do that? I will show you before Calvary. His parable speech. I will show you after Calvary, no more parable speech. That's why people, when they read the Gospels, do not understand the oneness of God. And they don't understand that Jesus is the mighty God. Amen? Because he kept making reference to an invisible spirit. But he had to before Something will be different because after Calvary, he said, You will pray in my name. And something will be different after Calvary. After Calvary, when you baptize in my name, your sins will be forgiven. This was something that, that was not, not a reality pre Calvary. Something happened after Calvary. And this is what we'll seek to preach to you uh, next week. And hopefully it will bring clarity to your understanding as to why it is so complicated to deal with the parabolic speech of Jesus. So that means he speaks in parables. And it was necessary, brother, that he did that. That he, that he overloaded the passage with words. It was necessary for him to overload the passage with words. Why didn't he just come out and say, when the Spirit comes, he's not going to bring a different doctrine? 
to use parabolic language. He overloaded the, the, the verses with words. Woo. You know why? And, and I'll explain the reason about pre and post Calvary, but you know why? It's so that not just anybody could open this Bible and understand it. Only the people who really dig. Who put forth the necessary discipline and study. Who did it for reason. He gave the book of Revelation to John the Isle of Patmos. All these symbols. He could have come out and said what that means. But he gave a symbol of a beast and a woman riding on a beast. He could have come out and said what the seven, he explained who the seven horns were and the there were ten horns and seven headed beasts. He could have come out and said, you know why he didn't? Because the disciples were living in the midst of persecution. And they needed a message from heaven to come down to them and encourage them in a time of persecution. And he wrote this in symbolic form so that the Roman government would not understand. But only his church would understand. He, he, he loaded. Are you with me? Can I talk to you? He's at circumlocution. He overloaded the verses with words and phrases for a reason so that only his church would understand this. You hear what I'm telling you? And so, as your pastor, it is very difficult because of his overloading. Intentionally and necessarily, the verses with phrases, and he'll show you coming at this thing. Well, I'll send him, and I'll I'll send the the comfort, and then he says, "I'll pray the Father, and He will send him." And he says, "I'll come to you." Oh, wow! Coming from one direction and another direction, and another direction. He had to do it. It was necessary. Doesn't make it easy. I love you. God bless you. Please stand. Father, we ask you right now your blessing to rest upon our minds. Anoint our minds. Anoint our hearts. Anoint our spirits. Thank you, God, today that you're able to give us revelation. Father, today, if I am feeling sorry for myself, my lips hanging down, that is why I cannot bear it. I cannot understand. I ask you, Father, right now, in Jesus' name. That I'd be delivered from this scandal. God, we need you tonight. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the parts that we have. What we know. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. One quick question. As I let you go home tonight. Jesus in his deity. Can he only be part of God. In his deity. 
but is it possible for him to be God to an extent only? Is it possible? No. It is not possible for Jesus Christ to only be part of God or to be God to an extent. He has to be all God and no God at all. You hear what I'm telling you? Anything that divides him is not biblical. I love you. Block out tickets, $5 each for next Friday, July the 29th. See Sister Pearl, please. Okay, thank you. And that, let me tell you, that's a steal, man. $5 ticket. You know. For rock hands. Man. Isn't that a good price? Yeah. You know, after I got to talking to you about holiness and convictions, man, I, I'm almost so convicted, I don't even know if I can go to that baseball game, but. No, I'm serious, man. I don't think that conviction is coming from the Lord, so we'll go ahead and go. But boy, I'm really starting to get I'm getting scared. I see so much, so many people laying down convictions and laying down holiness, you know. We're not going to overdo it. But I'm really looking at everything we do as a church. Really. It's important to be careful in this hour. Amen. How many of y'all believe what, what the Lord, I'm going to say the Lord, what your pastor's saying. I'm not, I'm not saying God's saying that. Do you believe today that we need to be careful? Jesus. Jesus. Father God, I give you praise today.